Good morning, family. Wonderful to be with you this morning. Those of you that don't know me, who um, may be visiting us for a while, is visiting us this morning. My name is Etienne Berta. I'm one of the elders here in Every Nation, Linwood. I've been for a few years, and it's a wonderful family to be part of, and it's great to be able to be with you this morning and share the word with you. And it's, it's wonderful to be here on a day like today, the day of Pentecost, um, which is really such a central moment in our faith and the lives that we live and what Eugene said is so true is that it's really impossible to live the lives that we've been called to live as followers of Jesus without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And it's so wonderful to see how everything that happens in a week and in a morning such as this one just comes in and ties in seeing how God moves. And there's hope in that, to know that you know, God is not distance, distant, He's not way off. He's here, and um, he's interested in your life, and he loves you, and I really believe that um, what God wants to share with all of us this morning is really something that can make a difference in your own life, but also in the lives of those around you and and in the world, in fact. And um, if you've been missing the last few weeks, we're currently busy with uh, a series called the the One Series, and what's amazing about it is, is, like Jana mentioned earlier, is that just like we're meeting together this meeting this morning in this church, there are thousands of churches like us all over the world coming together, um, not only doing church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, but really living church and what it means throughout the week and coming together to celebrate what God does in our lives on a Sunday morning such as this one. And sort of as a, as a sign and as a confirmation of the fact that we're one family, every now and again, and particularly in May, we do a series where we preach the same message throughout the city. Um, every, every nation church in the city is preaching the same message. And this year, we're, we're talking about our values. And if, if you're visiting us, you've, you haven't, or, if you, or um, this is the first time that you're here, or you, you've only been coming for a while, those are our values as a church. Lordship, evangelism, discipleship, leadership, and family. And that's, that's what we live. That's who we are. And I think it's really important for you to know and for you to realize that if these values are not Jesus' values, we're making a mistake. Is that it is central to who we are as a church and as a family that the values that we live out are the values of Jesus. And that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning as we talk about evangelism, is that as getting into the mind and the heart and the being of Jesus and looking at who he was and why it's so important that evangelism is a, is a value of us. Now, yesterday morning, um, I went for a run, and I love exploring the world, not the world necessarily, but my world or the environment that I'm in through running. I think it's an amazing way to explore and to really be, get into contact with what's going on around you. It's something about having your feet on the ground and being in close contact with the environment and the people and seeing things as you move along. And particularly if you see a city waking up, there's something different about a city as it rises. There's something real about it that you won't necessarily see when everybody is in awake and we've all got our masks on and we're all you know, doing what we're supposed to be, but there's a reality to it. And yesterday morning was no different. As I set out and I ran through the city towards the union buildings, and 
it's crazy. <laughs> the things you see as you, as you go along the roads and the people that you see and you see the things that are happening to them. And I, I, when I got close to the union buildings, um, there was some, it was almost surreal what I saw. It was coming out of the Sunnyside area and there's the spark and it's beautiful and it's got all these pine trees. Some of you perhaps live in that area, you've been there, or you perhaps were a student living there, or you've just seen it. And there are all these massive pine trees, and it's a spark, and there were some people exercising there, and you've got these imposing buildings, the union buildings in the background, and it's really beautiful. But in the spark, all over the place, there are people that sleep there. Their fires are still smoking. It's abject poverty, like, you won't find anywhere else, where it's literally people that have got nothing. Nothing. And as I continued, I saw more and more of this. And I think the thing that really struck me is, is that as I got to the top, the last time I was there was, was during COVID, but it was before the July unrests. And what has happened since, when I wanted to go into the gates, we run right past the union buildings, the gates were closed. And I didn't get it because the last time I was there and all the previous times I was there, it's a wonderful environment because people exercise there early on a Saturday morning or Sunday morning. They spend time together there. They go for walks. They've got their dogs there. And it's really beautiful. And there was nothing. The gates were closed. And I went to this police officer and I started having a conversation about, with him about what was going on and why this was. And he spoke about the fact that it was since the July unrest, they closed it up and they, they closed those gates. And I was just so sad about what was going on. And as I continued on and I ran into another guy and I was taking some pictures and he said to me, you know, if you really want to see what it looks like up there, you need to come in the week. And we're having this great conversation about the, how much the people behind those gates perhaps are a little bit removed from what's going on on the world side of those gates. And the fact that it felt as if there was a distance there, there was a wall there, there was a separation there between the reality that we sometimes see and sometimes come into contact with and what was going on behind those walls. And I'm sorry if this makes you feel a little bit negative. Um, I'm not usually a negative person or a hope, person that's hopeless or, or anything like that, but I left there feeling quite hopeless. I left there with this distinct feeling that for the people that were on this side of the gates, those poor and dejected people, those rejected people, that it would be really difficult for anything in their lives to change. And as I continued running, I started talking to God about this. And the feelings that I had was sort of this combination of sadness and being mad, of frustration on the one hand, wanting to make a difference, wanting to see that something would change for all of us, but particularly for those people who are poor, who are rejected, who don't have any, any hope, who don't have the privileges that most of us, us have, but really finding it difficult to see what the solution for that would be. And I know that most of us feel that way. You know, some of us, and I think it's really the minority, are really indifferent to what's going on out there in the world. I think that's really a minority that says, you know, I just all I care about is myself and the world that I live in, and I don't care what's going on the outside. There may be some of us that, that live that way, but I really think that's a minority. I think the majority of us 
feels that we would like things to be different. But here's the thing is that most, many of us, I won't say most of us, but many of us, you know, really say it's somebody else's problem. It's so we want something to be different, but we're saying is that we want somebody else to do something better so that it is better. And I think if we really look at what's going on deep inside ourselves, we want things to be better out there so that it's better in here. We want things to be better in the world and the circumstances around us so that it's better in our home, so that it's more comfortable. And so we've got less problems and less things to stress and worry about so that we're happier, happier people. But I do believe that the majority of us really want things to be different and that we're even willing to make a difference out there in the world. But if we look at what's going on and we look at the, just the vastness and how big the problem is, it's really intimidating and it's really to find practical and solutions that we know is going to make a real difference in the world out there. And if you're sitting out this morning and you, and you think that, well, yeah, things are really bad in this country, and so I can tell you is that I'm probably one of the worst traveled people here, but I can tell you that it's the same all over in the world. I think you can think that there are places that look better, and you can think about places where things may not be as bad as it is, but in its essence, the, the real problems in the world, the problems that are going on inside of us, is there it doesn't matter where you go. I recently had the, the wonderful opportunity to go to Hong Kong for a week. And what an amazing city. I mean, it is just mind-blowing to experience that city and its, and its people. You know, Hong Kong has got the fourth highest human development index in the world. Now, if you don't know what that is, I didn't either to find out. So that's the index that's used to measure how advanced and how well it is going with a people, a community, based on a number of factors. One, their per capita income, so in Hong Kong it's an extremely high. Yet the um, life expectation that normally takes into consideration things like health and so on, looking at things like education, opportunities, accommodation and so on. Hong Kong is the fourth highest in the world. But from the moment that I put my feet in that country, Every taxi driver that I spoke to, with every lawyer, judges that I, that I spoke to, I realized that there is, if you look past what you see in the city and the people and what's sort of thrusted into your face, and you get into the minds and the hearts of the people, people are not free. People are held captive by whatever their circumstances are, but whatever has happened in their lives and what's going on in their lives by the challenges that they have, and it doesn't matter, you know, how rich they are, it doesn't matter how easy things are around them, how good the health system is, how little crime there is, it doesn't matter what it is. It's a really a problem that is central to what we experience in this world. And the Bible has got a verse that says there's nothing new under the sun, and it's really so. For as long as humanity exists, that has been part of the problem of humanity, our hopelessness, the fact that we are captive, the fact that we have a, a desire to be free from what's holding us back and to live a life of purpose and that's outside of ourselves, that extends beyond ourselves, that has meaning in this world and that makes difference in this world, not only in our lives, but even once we've left there. And that is the same world that Jesus came into when he came into this world 2,000 years ago. 
And I want to speak to you quickly this morning about Jesus and the way that he felt about people and what he presented as an answer to a lost and a dying world. And we're going to look at it from Luke 15. But before we're going to go there, I want to give you a little bit of an idea. Just when, when Luke wrote this, this, this gospel, a gospel, it's just another word to say it's, it's the good news. It's a message of good news. When Luke wrote this, he tells us in Luke 1, he says that he writes this because many people have given an eyewitness account, and I've told of the things that Jesus did, but he writes this so that there's a, a, a logical and a strong account of the fact that Jesus was the Messiah as it was promised in the Scriptures. Luke is saying is, is that I want you to understand that Jesus is the promised Savior of the world. And it's important to know that that is who Jesus is and to consider whether he is in fact who he said he was. Because if he is who he said he was, he is in fact the savior of this world. We have to ask ourselves, well, are we looking at him for the solutions for a world? I was thinking earlier while we were worshiping, I was thinking about this whole thing of freedom. And I was reminded of this verse that says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I was thinking, but then the opposite must be true, is that where there is an absence of the Spirit of the Lord, there will be captivity. And if we're honest about ourselves and what we see around us, we must say, well, it seems to us that if we look at how people are captive to their circumstances, what's going on around them, we look at our own lives and the things that are holding us captive, it must tell us something about an absence of the Spirit of the Lord, and we need a Savior, somebody that's outside or transcends this world that we live in for the answer for this world and whatever is going on in our lives. As Jesus, Luke tells us about who Jesus was, his birth, and how he grew up as a 12-year-old boy, and he continues on this journey telling us about Jesus, and he tells us about how it was that Jesus' ministry started, how he came out and he was baptized by, by John the Baptist. And how God proclaimed and he said, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. That is the authority that Jesus carried. That was who he was, was birthed out of who his father was. And he then goes on and Jesus was then led into the wilderness and he was taken away. And you all know the, what happened from then and how he for 40 days was in the wilderness, and he came out, and then he was led, and Satan tried to tempt him, but he stood strong, and his ministry, start, ministry started after that, and he went out in his home area of Galilee, and he went and he preached, and the Bible tells us then he went into various synagogues, and then one day, um, and this is not really the scripture that we're going to get into this morning, but it's important for you to hear this, one day he went to his home town, town of Nazareth. And the Bible tells us that when he went to the town of Nazareth, he went into the synagogue, and as was their custom, they gave him the scroll from which he had to read. And it was the custom those days that they would read from the scroll of Isaiah. And he opened up the scroll of Isaiah, and he went to a particular verse, and we read about this. You don't have to go there right now, but you can read about it later. In Luke 4, verse 17, it says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, 
listen to what Jesus is saying as a fulfillment of the scriptures saying who he was going to be. And he says this about himself. He reads from Isaiah, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What a wonderful message to hear. What, what, what relief would you feel if you really believe this? What relief would people out there feel and to know that there is a man who is God, who came into this world, who fulfilled prophecies that over a thousand years were said about him, and he came into this world, became part of our problems and our circumstances, saying that I have come to set you free. I have come to bring you good news. I have come to bind the brokenhearted. I have come to heal those who are sick. I have come to give liberty to those who are poor. What wonderful news is that? The problem is, do we really believe that? That that is who Jesus was? That is who he was. And this morning we're going to stand still at, at Luke 15 and read about some things that Jesus did and what he said. And then we're going to continue talking about it. So you can open with me at Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light up a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion 
and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older, brother, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet... You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. It's the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. As we continue to talk about things that were important to you, Jesus, the people that are important to you, and your solution to a lost and a dying world, Father, we pray, Father, that we will open our hearts, that you will speak to us, that you will call to us, and that you will empower us through your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So nothing here is really new, we all know this, I mean, if you've been in Sunday school since the age you were little, you heard these stories, right? It, uh, what's interesting about it is you would usually hear them sort of in, on their own. You would hear about the lost coin story. Then you would hear about the lost sheep story. And then you would hear about the prodigal son story. But to really understand what Jesus is talking about and why he's saying this, it's really important to sort of look at them together because it's really telling a little bit about how Jesus feels about people. And so you've got three stories, and the first story is that of, of this shepherd who loses a sheep. It's about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and he loses one sheep, and he leaves 99, and he goes off to the one, and which to our modern ears doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make sense to you and to me because the way that you and I Live and the way that our society is built and the way that it, it, our philosophy about life is, is that, well, you've got 99. Is you've got a lot. You already have some. So don't leave what you have to go and look after that one thing you already have. Don't care about the one. Care about the 99. Look after the 99. So... That was not the people, those were not the people that Jesus was talking to. The Word of God is talking to us, but he's telling, Jesus is telling us something about how he feels about people through the eyes of the people that lived back then. And those people understood shepherds, and some of them were shepherds. And they understood that if you have a hundred sheep, it is important if one gets lost to go and 
look for the one. You leave the 99, you look for one, because every sheep in that flock is important. In fact, if you do not look after the one, you won't have the 100. Because that says something about who you are and what you are as a shepherd, about the fact that you care for every single sheep. And the fact is, is that you at once, at one point, you were the one. You may sit here and feel like, okay, well, you're part of the 99, but the fact is, at one point or another, another, you were that one sheep. And somebody thought, maybe it was your parents, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was somebody in church, maybe, doesn't matter who it was, somebody thought you were important enough to leave whatever they had to share something with you about the fact that there's a good shepherd and that that good shepherd loves you. And this thing about leaving, leaving the 99, is really central about who Jesus was. In Philippians, we are told that, that Jesus, he didn't hang on to who he was as God. He didn't hold on. He left who he was to come and seek and save the lost. And so as a church, you and I are called to sometimes leave the 99 to look for the one. And it is a sad reality that these days, because of our consumer mentality, because of our comfort and how important we think we are and our comforts and our wants and our needs are, is that there has into the church, there's, there's grown a, an idea that it's all about the 99. It's all about the comfort of the people that are sitting in the chairs, how good our sermons are, how we look after them, how we care for them, and how good our music is, and how amazing the, the, the technology is that we have, and how nice our bathrooms are, and all those little things. And I'm not saying that those things aren't important at all. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do the things that we do in church as well as we possibly can with excellence because we are children of God and that's what we're called to do. But it is wrong beliefs if we believe that it's more about the 99 sitting inside the walls of this church than it is to the one that's out out there. The next story that is told is, it's about this, this woman. In fact, it was the first story. But it's about this, this woman who loses a coin. And, it, I mean, again, our idea of what a coin is, it's just like silly. I mean, whoever like, stops everything and, you know, starts sweeping the house looking for a coin. But the coin that they're talking about there is worth, for a poor person, more than what they needed for a month. That's how important that coin was. And what it says is about she stops. And it doesn't matter what's going on in her house and where the furniture is or whatever. She stops and she starts sweeping and she looks. And you have to ask yourself, well, why is she looking for it? She is looking for it because it has a high value. That is what determines her actions. That is what determines her focus is that she is looking for something that has a high value. And that makes, you have to ask the question to yourself, well, what determines something's value? 
If we're talking about values, what determines the value that you place on something? And the value that you place on something is determined by the price that somebody is willing to pay for that thing. And everyone of the lost people out there, every person that you know, their value is determined by the fact that Jesus was willing to pay for their lives with his life. That determines their value. That determines your value because Jesus, even if every other person who has ever lived on the face of this earth and who will ever live on the face of this earth, if every one of those people chose to follow Jesus and did everything right, Jesus would still die for you. That's your value. And that's the value of every person that's outside of the walls of this church. And that is why we need to stop what we're doing to go after them, to seek them, and save them just as Jesus to do. The next story we all know so well, the one of the prodigal son. And it's really, we all know by now, it's really a misnomer to call it a story about a prodigal son because we really, really know this is a, a story about a very good, loving father who had two lost sons. The one son being rebellious, running away, rejecting what he knew and what he had. The other one being religious, being self-righteous, thinking that he deserved because of who he was and the works that he had done to have more. And it's really a story that's very applicable to each one of us. Because it doesn't matter where you are in this world or where you've been or at what time I'm talking to you right now. You will find that if you're honest with yourself and if you allow other people to speak into your life and you allow God to speak into your life, you will find that between these extremes of self-righteousness on the one hand and rebellion on the other hand, we find ourselves on that spectrum more often than not. That we're either at a place where we're a little self-righteous, you know, because of who we are and the works that we do, or the fact that we are rebellious, rebelling against what God wants us to do, what he has called us to do. And it's the same for every person out there. But the message that Jesus gives to you is, is that it doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum, where your friend is, as self-righteous as he may be, as she may be, or as rebellious as he or she may be, there's a loving Father who is seeking after them, waiting for them to come home, wanting to embrace them. And the wonderful thing is if at each one of these stories that Jesus is telling, if you look at it, you see there was much celebration. There was much joy. And that is really what Jesus' heart is, is this fact that he came to this world to seek and to save the lost. And that every person who comes to him, there's much joy over that person. And that gives me and you a higher calling that goes way beyond anything else that you can live for in this world. The last thing that I want to share to you about this before we talk about what we are called to do is what we miss if we look at these three stories individually or you focus on the headings in your Bible, the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, is why Jesus was telling these stories. 
it's really so important to ask yourself, why these stories? And if you look at the beginning of chapter 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. You see, Jesus came into this world to seek and to save the lost. He came to heal those who were sick. He came to look after those that were poor. He came to set free the captives, which means that he couldn't sit somewhere where everybody's lives were sorted out and everybody was comfortable and walk there where things were going well and things were just perfect and there were no problems and everybody were comfortable in their homes with a good health system and having strong financial, uh, strong economy to live in or whatever the case may be. He had to be there where people needed him. And he tells these stories to explain to you and to me to say that this is what's really important to me. It's not about how comfortable everybody is. You know, Jesus never gave comment on how terrible the Roman government was or how terrible the Jews were as leaders or how they had contributed to those circumstances or anything. He gave people what they needed. And that was saving them from a life of being lost and without purpose and being ill and being poor by giving them something much more than just changing or improving their circumstances. And you and I are called to live the same life. Jonathan preached last week about discipleship, and it is, it is amazing to know that despite our own problems, despite our own inadequacies, the mistakes that we've made, the sin that we have, our shortcomings, that Jesus, the Savior of the world, calls each one of us to live a life of higher purpose, of calling, where he says that you are my plan A, and I've got no plan B. There is no other way. It's not going to happen any other way. Jesus chooses each one of you, each one of us, as a church, as a community, as a spiritual family, to help him to seek and to save the lost. And the way that we do it is the way that Jesus did it. It's by us engaging our culture, our community. Not drawing a distinction between somebody's, who they are, what their status is, whether they are a sinner, whether they are a tax collector, whether they are religious, whether they are self-righteous. But he calls each one of us to go there wherever he may lead us. Maybe he leads you to Okanya. Maybe he leads you there on a mission. Maybe he does lead you there for three months. Maybe he leads you there for the rest of your life. I always joke and say, I'm not interested in immigrating because I have to ask God's permission and I'm worried that if I'm asking him to go somewhere, he's going to send me that's much worse than you. <laughs> so I'd rather just not ask. It's of course a joke, but I, there's some truth to it. Where is God sending you? Where is he sending you in your workplace? Where is he sending to you at the gym? Where is he sending to you where you run? 
where you meet other women for coffee, where you study, your next family meeting, who are you seeing this afternoon, who are you seeing later in the week, who is he calling to? He's calling you to someone. I may not know who it is, but he knows. You probably know, and if you don't, if you ask him, he will tell you. So what can we do? The good news is, is that you're not alone. Earlier Eugene was talking about what an amazing day today. It's the day of Pentecost where God's spirit was poured out on his people for the first time. Not, not the being born into us and being part of us, Holy Spirit, something that happens through on the day that we become saved for the first time, but an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The same writer Luke, he wrote in Acts 1 verses out. One verses 8, Jesus was saying to his disciples, he says, don't go anywhere, you must hang around, you must stay in Jerusalem because something's going to happen. This, my spirit is going to be poured out on you. And then he said, he said the following words, he says, you will receive power. The spirit comes upon you. And then he made a promise, he said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, Samaria and the rest of the world. Church, we're not alone. Each one of us has the Holy Spirit. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we have power. And we have power to be His witnesses. And if you ever wonder what the primary reason is, the best reason for you to have that power, it's to be a witness. And there are people that you know that you're going to come into contact with that no one else will. And the only hope that they have is hope in a Father that loves them and in a plan that that Father has for you to reach out to them. And that's why our value in this church is evangelism. And it's something that we place a high value on because Jesus paid a high price to empower us to reach, to meet, to find the lost, to see that Jesus saves them, and for them to live the life of freedom, just like we have the privilege to do. And you and I have got a message, just like Jesus said in Luke 4, that he is the proclaimer of the good news. That's who we are. We're proclaimers of good news. And if you feel ill-equipped, you're in the right church, because there are so many ways that we have through engaged training, making disciples. We've got so many resources to help you, so many kinds of training. We've got these these engage cards. If you don't have one, if you didn't find one recently in the discipleship group, I want to encourage you. There are some at the, at the info table. And it's such an amazing way to first change your heart, but as Jesus changed your heart to enable you, empower you to reach out to people that are lost. And it's, it's so simple. It's On the one hand, it's got a a tool on how to, to start talking about somebody who doesn't know Jesus by using the acronym SALT, starting a conversation, asking questions, listening and telling them your story and telling them the good news about Jesus Christ. It's got our growth path, how we engage people, we establish them in, in biblical foundation, we equip them, we empower them to themselves to go out to a lost world. It's got a verse that you can use, but here's the most important that it, thing that it's got, I think. It's got what's called a, a engaged list. 
where it's got spaces for you to write the names of the people that God lays on your heart. A space where you can pray about people, people you want to engage and share the gospel with, and you write their names there as a reminder who they are to constantly remind you. And every time you pray, every time you open your Bible, you can use it as a bookmark. You look at these names and you pray for these people and you trust for an opportunity and the guts and the means and the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to share the gospel with them. So it's not only a value that we have, there's something that we are called to do. And pray for us. Jesus, you said that you came to seek the save, seek and save the lost. And before I go on, I must say thank you that you that you were looking for us. Well, we were lost. And that you saved us, the majority of us, that we have that privilege of being saved by the Savior of the world. Thank you that through saving us, Father, you love us so much, Father, you forgive our sins, Father, and you, you, you put all of that behind us. You paid the price for it, Father, and you help us daily to come free from the things that are holding us back in this world. But thank you that you don't just leave us without a purpose, without meaning in this world, but that you call us to something greater than ourselves. Something that meaning, something that makes a difference, something that can make a difference to every poor person, to every ill person, to every person that's held captive by anything. Thank you that you have entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation not holding people's trespasses against them, but reconciling them to you, the one who loves them and the one who wants to save them. I want to pray for every person that's here this morning. We're all at different places. There are so, there's so much similarities between us, but you meet each of one of us, the place where we are. You know what's going on in our hearts, and I want to pray for every person here this morning. I want to pray for those of us that are feeling slightly disinterested in, in what's going on outside of the world, Father, that even as we spoke now, and I believe that you spoke to people, that it will not be something that they hear now and that they forget as, as we walk out of these doors, Father, but that you will change something in their hearts right now about the love that you have for a broken world, and for the lost people. I want to pray for every person, Father, that has got this desire to make a difference in the world, Father, that does not know how to do it. It feels too big. It feels too, too... It's something that we can't accomplish, Father, for you to give them faith and a conviction of the fact that this is us being part of an army, Father, with you behind us, empowered by your Holy Spirit, and that each one of us, we're just to do the little that you call us to do, we can make a difference in our immediate circumstances, but also in the wider world, Father. I want to pray for every person that you are laying on somebody's heart in this moment, Father. Somebody that has to be reached out to. Somebody that's lost, that's broken. Whether they're self-righteous, whether they're rebellious, whether they're completely lost, agnostic, atheistic. doesn't matter who they are, what they are, and how far or how near they are. I want to pray, Father, for them, that you will prepare the ground, Father, in those people's hearts, but also in each one of us that are called to reach out to these people. Most of all, Jesus, 
We need you. We can't do this without you. And I thank you that you that you paid the price. You set us free from sin, what's holding us back. That you rose again. We know you're alive. We thank you that you gave us your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our lives. We're sorry for the times when we sort of push you into the background, not really think about you, not really talk about you, not really talk to you, forgetting who you are as a person. We don't want to rely on you just because of what you can give us in power and miracles. We want to know you. We want to walk with you. We make each one of us more aware of your presence in our lives. Thank you, as Eugene said earlier, you are Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that through your baptism, through the power that you give us, we have been enabled to live the lives that we have been called to by Jesus. That everything we do is in glorification of the Father. And may that be our life story. That we honor God. In Jesus' name, amen.